writer, director, and overall klutz. Hey, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, uh, and a phone gamer. Oh, like you play games on your phone? Play games on my phone, which I didn't realize was kind of weird. Uh, don't a lot of people do that? I think so. Yeah. Like, I have a favorite phone game. What is it? It's called Toon Blast. It's like just like a puzzle game, but it's it's just mindless. I think a lot of people with anxiety just are like mindlessly playing phone games. That's great. It's very soothing. Do you have, like, a phone game? I've never, ever played phone games, really. I guess I played Snake, like, way back in the day. Oh, sure. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've never gotten into it. I had a brick phone, and you could go to the mall, and you could change out the cover of them. How does this have to do with games? It doesn't. I just like talking (laughs) about old phones. Do you ever have a a T-Mobile sidekick? I'm not sure. Only cool kids had those. Okay, I guess I didn't have one. Or, uh, whatchamacallit, flip phone? You ever have a flip phone? yeah. Yeah, right? one of those pink razors. Those were for cool kids too. I think I, I think I had a pink phone, so it probably was a razor. But you could play on the brick phone. You could just play Snake like all day if you wanted to. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if I would like phone games and if it's something I should introduce into my life or not. I am thinking about taking up knitting, so that feels similar. Yeah, in terms of like keeping my hands busy. Uh, knitting seems hard. Yeah, my mom is in a knitting club now, and it's. One, really improved her social life. And two, uh, seems incredibly difficult because she's making us a, a blanket, but she's doing all these like elaborate designs within the blanket. And okay. It seems stressful. So I would just want to do like simple, like the most simple stitch over and over and over again. Have you ever seen someone like knitting on the bus or the train? I think so. They look peaceful. Yeah, I used to knit in fifth grade in class. What? In class? What a dork. Just Between Us is a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. I don't mean to imply that children who knit are dorks. No. Um, but yeah. they are. <laughs> but also, I don't think that being a dork is a bad thing. No, no, no. Not at all. Let's and, reclaim that word, too. Yeah, exactly. Dorks, nerds, geeks, we're all out here. Doing they have, our best. They have different connotations. I think only dorks knit, but let me know. <laughs> Wait, reply in the comments. Let me know. Write in. Write in. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah, write in. I don't know where you could. We don't have a P.O. box or anything, but just write us a handwritten letter. Take a photo of it and email it over. <laughs> I'm like choked on the idea of someone emailing us a handwritten letter. <laughs> is so funny to me. We've got a great episode for you this week. This week, we're going to be talking to musician Mal Blum and asking them some tough questions about their long-distance relationship with me. That's right. Gabby's partner is going to be in the hot seat. And later, we'll be discussing queer baiting. What is it? Why is it bad? How do we stop doing it? But first, hit it! International question! Fatima from Who the Fuck Knows Where. Guys, tell me where you're from. It's part of the song. Fatima, why did you not put where you're from? I don't know. I'm really upset about it. But it is a good question, so I'll allow it. She wants to know, what do you do when art that was written, drawn, or composed really well succeeds in leaving you dejected and discomforted? Oh. So some background. She says, I just finished a book that left me really sad, but not in the ways a lot of other adult novels have. I feel far more nauseous and angsty. I'm exhausted and uncomfortable and can't figure out if I really enjoyed reading it or if that even matters. I learned a lot, but I think it was written to make us feel a little awful. 
Am I reacting this way because I'm a green baby adult and should I be consuming some art that leaves me feeling a little sick? Is this the kind of content I need to broaden my understanding? And how do I know if I'm responding with a normal or desired level of anxiousness? Interesting. So I think about this a lot. I refuse to watch things or read things where the intention is to make me sad. Yeah. I just think that there is so much so much tragedy and sadness and and ennui in real life that like I don't need to consume content that makes me feel that way as well. Now, the counter argument is that art should leave you feeling some kind of way. And sometimes that way is sad and uncomfortable. For instance, like art about the Holocaust Mm -hmm. or um, art about, you know, your own introspection on your own racism or your own sexism or whatever. Uh, So I think that or, or art that's educating you about a problem in the world that you necessarily didn't know about or don't experience yourself. So I think like there is a thing where I think we mistakenly believe that art is supposed to leave you feeling only positive emotions. And I would argue that there is a place for art that leaves you feeling um, uncomfortable and changed and upset. Absolutely. But what worries me about this question is the use of the word should. Yeah. So like feeling like you need to be or should be consuming art that makes you uncomfortable. And I think that there's no shoulds in life other than like basic human decency. Right. And if you're in a place where like reading that stuff like really fucks you up, just don't do it right now. That's not necessarily going to be the case for the rest of your life. And maybe there'll be times when you do want to explore that. But if you feel like you're forcing yourself to consume things that leave you feeling nauseous and anxious, take a break. Yeah, totally. Read a a comic. Read something fun or like a beach read. You know, I think I used to feel so much pressure to like read specific books because those are the books that matter. But in reality, you're just reading to enjoy reading and read whatever gives you the feeling that is what you are seeking. Yeah, there's an overwhelming amount of art and narratives made about suffering. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, there's like a million slave movies, but not that many movies that are just like positive portrayals of of black people living their lives. Or, you know, every movie is like a gay bashing or like one of the lesbians dies or whatever. Uh, And there's not that many that are just like a positive like rom-com about two girls or whatever. I think like because there's so much tragedy porn out there, you feel like the only representation you're going to get is watching and reading the stuff that is upsetting to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I would challenge you to seek out or search for things that aren't necessarily uh, the first thing that comes up when you Google book about this subject or like book about this type of person. Or, um, you know, I think that you unfortunately might have to dig deeper to find the representation that you're looking for. Uh, and, you know, not go with the stuff that is immediately recommended or that the stuff that's getting uh, the praise or whatever. I think sci-fi does a really good job of making us think about important themes and issues in humanity without making us feel so, like, hollowed out with tragedy. Yeah. Like, it, it's, like, they're kind of, like, parables. Like, so it can very much obviously be about racism, but it's not – it's not the same thing as as reading a book that's yeah, it's not specifically about slavery and, you know. Yeah. And so I think that – I just think be kind to yourself. And I think that, like, if this just isn't what's driving with you right now and it's just not making you feel good, 
just don't consume it. Yeah. <laughs> I now, think that you need to be aware of the world and yes. aware of history. And yes. I think that you need to read the news. And I think that it it's helpful to consume some content about like, you know, what's going on with indigenous people in America and in Australia. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, be conscious of that and don't live in a bubble. But if you're doing something for pleasure, which is maybe watching a movie or reading, reading. a book, then you don't need to also feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I consume a lot of true crime. So that is at odds. But part of me... Uh, part of me is like I, I. It helps me feel better. It helps me feel more in control of the world in some way because I'm convincing myself that like once I know everything bad that could happen, then I'll be safe. Uh, and also, I enjoy like the mystery of some of it. But like, I have had to cut myself off because it's hard to sleep. Well, I listen to true crime all the time, and it doesn't make me feel bad. I yeah. I just sort of find it interesting and I don't get freaked out and I don't get scared and I don't I mean that's just my reaction. I get freaked out a little. But as soon as there's an episode that's about animals, I'm can't. like I can't listen to this. Yeah. And I just don't listen to it. <laughs> well, that's why trigger warnings are so important too. Cuz it lets you it doesn't make you stay away from stuff. It just lets you be prepared for what you're going to be hearing. Mm-hmm. And it just lets you have consent and be able to decide and consent to how you're going to feel. I think there's a really important divide that Fatima brings up about triggering content versus like being triggered because I think that word has been thrown around and used so loosely and it's actually a psychological term and it's not just feeling offended or feeling uncomfortable. It's like literally experiencing reoccurrences of PTSD and like reoccurrences of trauma that is much deeper than the way that it's used now where they're just like, oh, you didn't like it. And then it's not that you didn't like something or that you were offended by something. It's that you literally are experiencing like a mental, like psychological effect from this thing. And so I think like we have to be kinder uh, about that. And we and the way that it's been used and turned into in greater like – in in greater society and, like, made fun of is so damaging for people who actually experience it. Yeah. And I think that when she says, is this the kind of content I need to broaden my understanding, I think you can figure out what works for you in terms of consuming that type of content. So, like, for me, I would, as I said, like, I would much rather read articles or the news Mm -hmm. about things that are upsetting Yeah, versus a 400-page novel about it. Yeah. So I think that like you can still learn and you can – or I, I often – for me, podcasts, like I said, I could I could listen to that. To learn rather to than learn, watching. Rather than watching. Yeah. So maybe you're someone who like would rather watch than read that upsetting stuff. So like I think you – I think different mediums hit people different ways. Mm-hmm. And so kind of figure out like what what is like – stirs up the most in you and then maybe avoid it in that medium and and kind of like consume it in another one. Yeah, and space it out. Mm-hmm. Space it out. Don't don't read just a bunch of upsetting things in a row. Right. And if like you can tell that the only purpose of the piece is to upset you, I don't know. I, I think that the best content leaves you with hope or leaves you with like um, this is narrative content. Like, yeah, or you like know. lets you think deeper about something rather right. than just doesn't be just like, like leave you in despair. <laughs> you know, I think that that's like uh, obviously this doesn't apply to memoirs and people's lived experiences, but in terms of like fiction, fiction, I think that's a really easy trick 
And I think it's the easiest thing to do as a creator. And I think it takes much more um, talent to take you to that place of despair and then successfully take you out of it. Yeah. Uh, I just keep thinking about the beginning of the movie Up (laughs) and how tricked I felt. I never saw it. I don't want to see it. I don't feel like crying. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't like stuff about breakups, which is why I I don't want to see A Marriage Story, one of the reasons, like, or Blue Valentine, that movie with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. I'm just like, not for me. No, thank you. I don't like stuff where, um, like, parents and children have, like, where, like, the parent dies or something and the child. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like anything with, like, moms and dads and kids. Like, but then sometimes I can, like, I can, like, prepare myself and then get into it. Yeah, but I just think that, like, if for whatever reason right now that stuff is, like, really weighing on you, take a break. Yeah. And don't feel like there's any shoulds surrounding this stuff. Yeah. Other than, like, having a basic understanding of the world around you and other people's experiences. And people can make art. Like, art doesn't necessarily, again, have to leave you feeling great. That's not the point of art. The point is is just to evoke something, but you can consent and figure out what you're con- what you actually want to be consuming. Right. What kind of art you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so some people do like to leave feeling despair. Or and- they want music that makes them cry. Or they want you know right. like I don't even really like slow songs. <laughs> it's a downer, man. I want to feel good. Oh wow. And you know, I think sometimes it's good to read stuff. That teaches you something. So I I don't think cut it out entirely, but I do think space it out. Or honestly, read a review of it. <laughs> you know, or like read, read That's like, like people, Quizlet, like read like summaries. When people don't want to see the horror movie, but they just want to read the oh, Wikipedia yeah. page of it. I do that all the time for um what was that creep that crazy one midsummer midsummer i didn't want to see that movie but i wanted to know what happened so i <laughs> read about it <laughs> it's less scary for you to just read the wikipedia page and so then i knew what everyone was talking about and i knew what had happened and i was still involved in the conversation but i didn't see it it's a very good wikipedia um <laughs> so uh, fatima it's really individual to individual take the should out of it and um figure out what works for you if you want to submit your international question to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Sorry, I was just doing this a, ASMR. Yeah, I'm doing ASMR. <laughs> if you would like to submit your international question to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com, send us an email. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Write it. I, I'll write a letter and then send us a picture of it. That's all we'll be accepting from now on. Stick around after the break. We'll be interviewing Mal Blanc. <laughs> just between Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Today we have musician Mal Blum. Hello. Hello. Hello, Uh, Gabrielle. (laughs) Hello, Allison. Uh, Also, uh, my partner. So thanks for being available to come on the show. (laughs) You're you're very welcome. And, uh, And you're welcome for me being available in general. Yeah, that's true. So how did this happen? Did Gabby beg you to be on? Did you beg to be on? I begged to be on because I just, I missed you so much, Allison. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm going to be in L.A. on Bad With Money. And Gabby was like, not only was Gabby like, you should be on Just Between Us, but Gabby was like, you should have your manager hit up Stitcher and come on other podcasts while you're here. (laughs) Yeah, well, podcasts are a great way to promote. And I think people don't think that enough. 
Um, so we are in a long, we mentioned you being in LA. We are in a long distance relationship. Sure are. Uh, how's that going for you? Love it. How's it going for you? <laughs> I don't, I, it's fine in some ways because I like having my alone time, but I also would like that alone time to be like one evening a week versus like three week stretches. You know what I mean? Right. And when you're together, then it becomes like, it's either like we're not together at all or we are living together. Yeah. Yeah. Extremes. Yeah. So take us back. How did this all start? Wow. Wow. Okay, so first of all, let let me say that a lot of times, and you in particular, are pointing person, at me, Allison Raskin. Allison Raskin, <laughs> Allison Beth Raskin, yes. believe that it, it, you know immediately if you like someone. Um, if you're attracted to them. So you know immediately if you're attracted to them, and then and then like it doesn't really change. Uh, I think you can become unattracted to somebody. <laughs> I thought this as well. I thought, you you know, you either feel that thing or you don't. But other extenuating circumstances can change how you feel, apparently. So what you're saying is you were not attracted to Gabby at first. Uh, physically? No. no, I mean, like— phys- I'm only talking about physically. Oh, no. Physically, like, I could tell that Gabby was attractive, so but I was this, not— My point remains true. Well, I wasn't, like, hottie. You know, I was like, <laughs> I can tell that person's attractive, but I it didn't even cross my mind, like, let's— Gabby was in my music video, and I thought everybody at that video shoot was hot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this was 2016, and I got asked to do it by our mutual friends, so I had never met you before. I had never met you. Right. Yes. And then we met at that music video shoot, and I thought you were so Directed cute. by Carly Usduna and Robin Rummer. And I was <laughs> very—I thought you were so cute. I was like, a wooga. Like, I was very into it. And the way that Gabby expressed that was by being like, follow me on Twitter. And I was like— Okay. And then I went to your Twitter and I was like, why do you have 100,000 followers? Like, what do you do? And you're like, I don't know, like YouTube stuff. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And I was like, who is this person? Why is she being so weird? I was very, yeah, I was like putting on this persona of like, I'm I'm a very famous millennial. millennial. That's what, that was your party line at that point in time. Yeah. You love to say that all the time. Yeah. And you. And And for some reason you didn't find that attractive. Right. I didn't understand that that was her hitting on me. Yeah. Well, I I think that bragging works for some and not for others. I was also, it was like a a persona that I think over, so this is, that was 2016. And then we were friends for like three years. And I think it was a persona that you had to get past and see like the real person, which took a while. Well, there was another thing. Are we leaving that out? Okay, no. So then. in case you didn't, in case I wasn't sure that Gabby was hitting on me, which I wasn't, Gabby was like, let me maybe drink a bottle of of uh whiskey, whiskey Jack Daniels. and make it very clear to you. When was this? So we were at, so then like two, two days, days later, later yeah. we were at a camp, which is uh, a camp for queer people and adults. Queer adults. Yes. And, and Mal, we were both like staff, yeah. Kind of st- like guests. We were guests. Yeah. Mal was there as a musician performer because Mal's a, a musician. And I was there to do comedy and we were both so like Everyone there is an adult, but there's also, like, counselors or staff. I understand. Yeah. And so we were – sometimes people think it's, like, kids. Um, But we were staff there, and Mal was there, and I was like, I'm going to hit on Mal. And I – but I was too nervous. Um, And so I – and also I was nervous because it was my first time in an exclusively queer space. 
So I had never, for those of you listening, like it can be very overwhelming for you to suddenly be around people who are like you and who maybe know more about being queer than you. And so you get really insecure and you start to feel really like, am I queer enough? Mm. Or like, I mean, you feel very affirmed, but you also feel uh, like, oh my God, everyone here is going to think I'm a fraud, which is Mm. how I felt. And normally I'm a very confident person. So I got really scared that everyone there was going to be like, look at this baby gay. Look at this Aww. fraud. So I, in response to that, I did a very healthy thing, which is I drank an entire bottle of Jack Daniels by itself. And what? then, oh yeah. Are you not dead? When no. did that kill you? Oh, I was dead the next day. <laughs> so How then, big a bottle was it? Like an act, like a bottle, like a bottle you would get at a liquor store. I did not know that you had drank that much. Like you were like definitely like, doing the drunk girl thing, but, like, it, you weren't incapacitated in any way. Yeah. It would, I would be dead, literally dead. Yeah. I, the next day was the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. It was, like, it lasted two days. It was awful. So I was wasted, and I saw Mal, and I was like, now is the time to absolutely try to make this happen. Uh, and so I went up to them, and I was just like— <laughs> What did I do? I you was don't like, remember. no, I kind of don't remember, but I've heard it told back to me in legend. Uh, <laughs> but I, legend. Mal was in, Mal was like very gently, like, I'm not interested. No, I tried to do the thing. Yeah. Y'all ever do this thing when somebody is like hitting on you at a party? I was not drinking that night. And, and you're like trying to be like, okay. And you're like, well, I'm going to go get a drink. Like, I'll catch up with you later, you know? So but she like, followed you? I was yep. like, I'm going to go get some water. I'll catch up with you later. And she took that to me and like, oh, they're going to get me water. And she asked our mutual friend to like, oh, help me find Mal. They went to get me water. And I was like, oh, no, baby. Yeah. So <laughs> I I also was like, I said to you directly, I'm hitting on you, you idiot. Asshole. Asshole. Yes. Uh, yes. That was after you found me and you, you hit me on the arm. You said, I'm hitting on you, you asshole. And I was like, I know I'm kind of interested in somebody else. Yes. Ooh. And uh, that's so painful. I'm sorry that happened to you. I don't remember it as I was oh, blackout. Fantastic. Wow, this is a love story for the ages. It's really. so bad. And then like a mil- a bunch of other stupid things happen. Like I uh like Mal is a trans non-binary person, and so I went to like another like I was like femme, and I went to another femme person, and was like. Oh, we do all these things for boys and they don't even care, right, Mal? Like, just, like, was, like, being such, like, I'm talking about, like, drunk woo girl to the extreme. <laughs> that was a funny one, though, because I was, like, across the room and I, you could tell you were, like, trying to get me to hear it. And I didn't hear it. And you were, like, right, Mal? And I was, like, what? And you're, like, you don't care about it. And I was, like, what? And you're, like, it. Yeah. Like, just next level drunk girl. Uh, and anyway, then, it was not love at first sight. No, it was. I was like, who is this person? Yeah, no, it was not. I was like, am I going to have a problem that she's in my music video? Because she seems like. A total mess. A stalker. <laughs> a total mess. And so then I, then I, the next day, I like kind of avoided you the rest of the time. Because I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. It wasn't uh, that bad. It sounds, wasn't. Sounds it sounds pretty bad. really bad. Um, so then. We became, like, friends. Yeah, we were friends for, like, four years. Yeah. We so were- how did that happen for you, Mal? Like, what? how did you let her into your life? Well, I don't have very good boundaries in general. So, like, that, you know, that's not a deal breaker, you know? It's like, okay, <laughs> someone has a drunken, messy night. Like, that's fine. Like, she's still Gabby. She was still charming. You know, I was like, you know, wasn't like a love connection, but I was like, wow, this person's ridiculous. You know, I was like, <laughs> um, and then I think through, like, 
yeah, just having to like work together on stuff. Uh, you know, when, the next time I hung out with Gabby was like sober and like, uh, you know, she's she's lovely. And there were little things. We're just buddies. Yeah. Yeah. There were little things where I remember instance. I had a crush on you the whole time. Nice. But Good I remember. It's not the first time I've heard this from someone. <laughs> but I remembered this instance. These instances. Where I'm like, I thought we were friends, and they're like, Oh no, I was I was scheming, and I was like, That's cool. Great. I guess no I one's my friend. I wasn't okay for a while. What a big relatable problem to have. But I wasn't. I wasn't scheming. I was just like you know, and you have like a crush on your friend or whatever. Sure. And I was dating other people and things like that. And I, but I always remembered like there would always be at least like one moment where like you and I would talk for a second, or you and I would go up to the bar or something, and I'd be like, and like I think I was like slowly. Not wearing you down, but you were like, you were like, oh, this, oh, you're cool. Like, I remember little moments where I was like, great, I've convinced Mal I'm cool. Now Aww. don't talk to them the rest of the night because you'll ruin it. No, you know what it is, is once I, once I started to get to know you beyond the, like, persona, I was like, oh, like, because I feel like maybe because you were nervous or something, you were really going, like, you were putting first, like, you're like, I'm a very famous millennial. And, like, yeah. you know. Walls. Like, there were a lot of wa- walls. There were a lot of walls. And mm-hmm. once I got to know you, like, actual Gabby, I was like, this person's, like, so down to earth and so sweet and very funny and smart. And so then I was like, we're friends. How yeah. did you – when did you start to develop romantic feelings for her? I would say when you were dating your last partner. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think I I had a couple moments where I was like, well, first I think I was like, that's not that's not someone I would I would pick for Gabby, which I feel that way about a lot of friends. Where I'm like, you know, you have your your like dream person for your friends. Uh-huh. Is that a relatable thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was like, that's not the person I would I would pick for Gabby. Um, and and I think that was part of the start of it. And then I was like, who would I pick for Gabby? And then. Um, yeah, I think there were a couple moments, like you said, where we just talked one-on-one. And, like, I remember that time at the bar we were out with our friends and, like, me and you went up to the bar to get another drink. And we were just talking about, like, The Bachelor or something. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I really wish everyone would leave and just me and Gabby could hang out. And then I was like, hmm, what does Why that do mean? I think that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- I think that was sort of – there were moments. And then Gabby, when she was with somebody else – Obviously, everybody knows Gabby's super non-monogamous yeah. and always has been kind of. Um, so she, when she was with someone else, uh, asked me to go on a date with her. And I had this whole thing. It, I'm a really neurotic person. Um, so I was like, I don't really like Gabby's partner. And so I think I do have a crush, could have a crush on Gabby. But is it like bad non-monogamy etiquette if I'm not really like into her primary partner? And does that mean Even I shouldn't as a go friend, out with yeah. her? And it was like this whole little... Because you're also non-monogamous, right? Yes, but like highly neurotic. Like so, you were like, if I don't like, yeah. (laughs) So So you were like, if everything, if if I don't like her primary partner, then I shouldn't go on a date with her because then I'll have to maybe spend time with this person I don't like. No, no, no. That's not why. Uh, It was more like just the ethics of it. Because I I feel like if you're coming into a relationship as like a third party or like a whatever, then like really you should. You should be rooting for them. You shouldn't be, like, trying to, like, break them up. Got it. Yeah, you should respect the relationship. Respect the relationship. Yeah. And then there were, every so often, I would, like, starting in, I would say, January of, like, 2019, every so often I would text you and be like, 
I, we're going to make out someday. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Yeah. And you thought that I was. I you thought would, it was a bit. You would constantly be like, I'll believe it when I see it. I was like, sure, Gabby. Yeah. You <laughs> thought I was joking, which happens a lot. I think I'm so forward that people think I'm joking. So like, uh, and then like there also, was. Also, you're kind of a professional comedian. So I understand why people would think you're joking. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if I'm saying I'm going to come for you and I'm attracted to you and I want to make out with you, I'm not kidding. <laughs> So that, everyone, let it be known if Gabby says this. <laughs> and I and I think I I go like, well, it'll happen or well, like I'm not very into like I don't care about rejection. So I was like, it'll happen or it won't. Uh, then I went through a breakup in March, and then I started. Te- I knew we were going to see each other in June, and so I started texting you more and more, being like, "What's up? June fourth, we're going to make out. I'm coming for you." <laughs> like specific date and time. <laughs> and Did you- that approach work for you, Will? That gets you hot and bothered. <laughs> <laughs> um. In a way, I mean, I honestly, I thought it was a bit. I was like, sure. One of the texts was even like, this is June 4th, mind you. And one of the texts was like, get ready. Happy Independence Day to you. And Because so, I mistook <laughs> June 4th for July 4th. Which I just thought was part of the bit. <laughs> no, I'm stupid. Uh, and and uh, and then I, like, told a bunch of friends, too, that I was going to make out with you. So then, like, I posted a picture of Mal at camp. And literally, like, three different people messaged me to be like, did you hook up with them yet? What's going on? <laughs> and my sister texted me, may the odds be ever in your favor. So then I felt like, oh, my God, I've talked about this so much. Like, I've built this up so much. What was it like when it finally happened? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. I was so fucking neurotic. I so we got I got to camp that night and then I talked to you for like a second and then you were like, I'm gonna go up to my room. And so you went up to your room and I assumed I was like, oh, okay, so I'm gonna give it 10 minutes and I'm gonna follow him up there. <laughs> Have you noticed this about Gabby? It's like the weirdest thing I've ever because I am so filled with so self-loathing and self-doubt, like at every possible moment that I've never met somebody with such secure attachment and high self-esteem. Like she just rejection just isn't a problem for her. Just romantically. No- I would say romantically it's not. Sure. So I came to your door. <laughs> And you were like, uh, oh, hey. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, hi, I'm here to make out. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Well, no. She loves to tell the story that way because it, it's like how you would write it in a script. No, because then you, I, tell, you tell me the story, Mel. And then I paced around your room for like half an hour. Yeah, what actually happened is she came in. She made a comment about the room. She started pacing around and talking to me about her life. And I was just like, sure, whatever. And like talking to her. I was sitting in my bed and she was just pacing, walking back and forth, talking about like, I don't even remember what. And then at one point she stopped and was like, can I get into your bed? (laughs) And I was like, uh, sure. What I said actually was on one condition. And she said, okay, what's the condition? This is kind of mean, but I said on the condition that you ask me one question about myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then she got in the bed. And do you want to know what the one question was? So music, huh? What's that about? (laughs) And thus our romance was born. And then we made out. Yeah, then you answered. Yes. uh, And then then we made out. And then I went back to my room. And she left. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. And I was like, weird turn with my friend. (laughs) Yeah, you were just kind of like, that that was so weird. So then you spend a few days together because you're at camp, right? And then it like becomes a thing. Yeah. But like how do you make that decision to go from like when you're in the same place you hook up to being in an actual long distance relationship? Mm. I think we both were like, oh, we're just going to hook up at camp. But then you came back with me after camp. I came back with her. Yeah, you came <laughs> well, back. Well, I was going to be in LA anyway, but I I canceled my hotel and I stayed with her. Yeah. Um but you mean like later on, like we're hooking up. No, no, like well, how, how did how yeah. did the evo- 
revolution happened? Because that's a big... I mean, it's one thing to, like, commit to date anyone, but it's another thing to be like, this is so special and meaningful that, Mm -hmm. like, even though we're literally across the country from Mm -hmm. each other, let's give this a go. Well, I think I'm an interesting case because I'm not typical in my dating history or how I date. Um, And I travel a lot anyway, so it's like, even if... I was in the same city as someone. There'd be weeks where I'm on tour and I don't get to see them. Um, But also, for a long time, I was just dating people who, because of my own history, I'm just, I was, like, attracted to people that, like, would push my boundaries or, like, weren't kind to me or, um, you know, some who were just, like, you know, downright abusive. And so I think for me, I I need a lot of space when I first start dating somebody because I'm very tentative. And um, I think just getting to know Gabby and, her being very considerate and kind and just like a very I don't know I can't I can't explain it but it just feels different markedly different and I feel more available for things than I have before because you said um that you'll put up a uh, typically you put up a boundary with someone and then they take that as a challenge They're like ooh, fun a challenge yeah or they'll be like uh, you'll be like, hey, I don't feel comfortable with this particular, like, intimate thing so quickly. And then the person will be, like, personally offended. Yeah. Or, like, be really upset and cry. Or be yeah. like, I I need this from you. And push, 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 push. Or or they'll be like, sure, yeah, no problem. But then just do what they want anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun one. So there, there was this layer of like you b- protecting yourself, yeah. um, and then you kind of would do that to me, and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> and then like, like yeah. really mean it, yeah, and be like, yeah, sure, no problem, like whatever yeah. you need, yeah. Uh, and, and then six months in, it's like I love you, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> I was texting our friends, and I was like. Truly the greatest, like, four-year con I've pulled off is taking someone who did not like me at first and making them love me. <laughs> like, because, like, also people would say, like, you're a commitment foe. But then, like, we're yeah. seven months in and it's, like, fully committed. Yeah. And it's just because you needed to feel safe and comfortable. But it's funny that, like, uh, two years ago, our mutual friends were like, oh, oh, you know Gabby, too? Oh, isn't she so great? And Mal was like, oh, she's annoying. <laughs> I did say that, and I regret it now. I'm sorry. And then we've, like, gone on double date. Like, multiple people have messaged Mal after us dating to be like, well, the tides have turned. But I think that we both didn't realize how compatible it would be where you need these certain boundaries or you are okay, like, uh, you know, taking a couple weeks where you, like, need to sort of do stuff for yourself or whatever in terms of long distance. And I am like, okay. Yeah. I hope that your stuff is – you also are getting your needs met. (laughs) No, I am. I think I was – I think because you said you were a commitment phobe, I was like – didn't really have high hopes. Like I was like, this will go on as long as it goes on. Mm. But then after I realized that you were thinking of me, you were thinking of the future, you were – like suddenly you – a a switch flipped where you Mm. actually realized that I wasn't lying to you and I was actually like totally fine uh, with your boundaries. Then you were like – oh, I don't need these anymore. Mm. Like, I don't need to protect myself anymore. What a fun psychological test for everyone who's ever dated me. (laughs) I know, and I'm the only one who's ever passed. (laughs) It's so crazy. So do you guys talk about about 
the future and like moving and stuff like that or wh- how, when does that kind of thing come into play this is where the tough questions start yeah. I know I'm ready Allison the first time I met you I was like I heard you're gonna have some tough questions for me <laughs> so let's do this and it's time finally well so I I'm lucky enough to have like I would say other than twice going to see you I've in New York I've had uh, been able to secure work in New York where they've paid for the flights. Mm-hmm. So I, a lot of times I get to spend time and I have a flexible schedule in terms of work and I get to like book things in New York and then go to New York. So like one with long distance, it helps that we're in cities where each of us could do something there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also that we both are in entertainment, though not in the same field, which is amazing because there's no competition, <laughs> but that like we both are able to uh, travel and see each other. I think with other people in long distance, it's probably much harder. It's probably, like, much, much more costly. Mm. Um, You know, Mal has – Mal's bedroom is horrible. Um, Thanks, babe. So (laughs) you live in a closet. Yes. So – Everyone uh, listening to this podcast in New York is like, and what of it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I do. I live in I, – I live in a – well, I've been there for, like, nine years oh, with wow. the same roommates. So – but it is very small. You're common law married. I'm yeah, married. exactly. To, to Jade and Mars. <laughs> I'm married to Jade and Mars. But yeah, so for a while I was like, I have to get a hotel when I come to New York. And She's that, like, I will not stay in your and, loft bed. And that was kind of a lot of money. And now I don't know what happened. Mal was like, now I'm going for two weeks and I'm like, going to just stay in your loft bed. And Mal was like, what happened? And I was like, I think I have Stockholm syndrome. Like, I don't know. My standards have changed. Um, Do you but, have like a set amount of time where you make sure you see each other? It's only really been like three weeks, but then one time it was a month, which sucked. Oh, yeah, that really sucked. But to answer your question, Allison, I think at some point – it's hard because like right now it's sort of up in the air with both of us career-wise. Like What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But I think eventually like – I don't know. I think it would be cool to like – have a place together at some point or and or that you know we I have a friend I have some friends that you know they have a place in New York they have they sublet in LA of the year maybe by coastal that's the dream baby yeah maybe by coastal but also you know there's with in terms of you living somewhere it's interesting money wise because two weeks of March two weeks of April so for a month you're you're gone you're on tour so it's like you know this is where I'm supposed to promote my headline dates that we just Please find them at malblum.com. But I just mean like your job is such that you're – I'm gone from whoever my partner is. Uh So you were already used to that. So it probably wasn't as big of an adjustment for you to go into a long-distance relationship. No, and I've dated other people long-distance before. Not this long and not this far. But I mean I think for a while it helped me like – in the beginning, went to have that space feel more comfortable, but it does sort of get to a point where it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I just want to be, I wish we could hang out. It's a lot of FaceTiming, Allison. I'm not going to lie to you. FaceTime and also being on speakerphone with you in the van with your bandmates. They just do not being like, like that. hey guys, hello everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like trying to work schedules around, mm-hmm. like trying to be like, okay, so you're going to be at South by, so could I go to Austin? Right. Like right. it's a lot of legit. I have like a. Can a, I have a day off in LA on this tour? Yeah. I have like a, a note like in my phone that's just like dates that we're going to be, you know, sharing our Google calendars and then dates that I. <laughs> that's that, a real okay, commitment. Right. And then <laughs> And then, like, dates that you're going to be somewhere and could I go there and where you're going to be. Like, for a while, we met up in – like, twice we met up in D.C., twice we met up in Philly, Philly. Which I was like, oh, D.C. and Philly, the Paris of the U.S. Right. <laughs> right. Just so the cities of love. So it, And it we is, do that in both directions, audience. No, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I just mean <laughs> it's like it's like a lot of logistics, which I think if you live in the same city and you date, you just take that for granted. They're just there. Do you ever worry about what the reality will be like if you guys are in the same place long term? You know, because when you're visiting somebody, it's like hard to. Yeah, it's like you're like giving them all of your attention and it's sort of like an extended honeymoon phase and mm. versus the reality of like day to day life. Yeah, but, it is. I mean, we're together for like two weeks or three weeks at a time. Yeah, and I that's thought this normally would be fine. interesting because I was like, oh, I'll be in L.A. for like three and a half weeks. What you know, yeah, like? what's that going to be like? Um, so it is weird because we go we go into living together. Yeah, Only, it is Like every weird. time we're together, we're living together. Yeah. And we're still both working, though. When yeah. We're, but it is different sort of than like the, you know, more normative, like we live in the same place and we have nine to five jobs. And, and right. it's not like we're splitting the bills or that kind of stuff yet. Right. Yeah. I well, mean, we've talked about what we would do like – what kind of, you know, do we want to move? Because I, I don't want to live in New York City. So, like, you know, do we move you and I out to, like, a cabin somewhere? That's my dream. I want to live in a cabin <laughs> in the woods. Mal but then does. it's like, but then I'm like, oh, I guess I, I got to be around other trans people for my self-esteem. But then I'm like, well, maybe I'll just, just I need, just need Gabby. That would be fine, too. But then we went to <laughs> we went to a restaurant up in Peekskill right. and like just to like see if we liked Peekskill. Uh, and our waiter was trans. So I know. I know. And I was like, are there other trans people up here? And they were like, yeah, there's at least one. And she has dinner parties. <laughs> and I was like, cool. That's the best response possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it felt like uh, it felt like, OK, maybe there's queer community in these places that we're not thinking there would be. No, but I, I mean, but it also is like, you know, Gabby's got stuff up in the air and she doesn't know where she's going to have to be based either. So it's like we don't really know where anyone has to be. Does anything. it cause anxiety to, to not know that stuff? Or are you guys both pretty good at just doing day to day? My base level is just like a high level of anxiety <laughs> and fear of the world. And so oddly, this has caused me the least anxiety. This relationship? My, relationship. my therapist was like, it seems like. Your relationship with Gabby is pretty calm. And I was like, yeah, it feels pretty calm. She's like, that's not a word I've ever heard you use to describe any of your relationships. And I was like, well, you used it, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you have said to me, and you would think that because we're long distance, it would be way more anxiety. But you, you Mal Blum, feel like uh, less uh, anxious obsessive. Yes. I, yes, I have some obsessive tendencies. And, and so in the past with more sometimes I think with like more unavailable people or people who have more like highs or lows or like um like sort of erratic mood stuff I can feel very on edge and I can or especially like rejection stuff like I can feel very like obsessive sort of fixated on a person mm -hmm. and I thought that that's what love was apparently not I know is that crazy <laughs> and then real weird and then with me, I think you were nervous because you're like, why don't I feel anxious? Why don't I feel obsessive? Like, why I thought do those were butterflies. And I was like, why don't I feel that way? And then my therapist was like, this is just you're confusing uh, adrenaline with love. <laughs> yeah. And then we talked about it. It was very sweet. I hope you don't mind me saying that you were like, I don't think I've been loved before. <laughs> is that what I said? Yes. Oh, that's horrifying. Why? I, well, it's sad. It's yeah. kind of sad. But it made me feel good. I think I, I haven't fully trusted someone I've dated since I was, like, in high school. But yeah. I've loved people. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just, like, a different thing than 
the adrenaline of yeah. I hope I oh my god I have to do everything right. Oh my right. god I have to be I have to like be constantly attentive. I have to yeah. do you know this thing that put out that fires. There's put out yeah. fires all the time. Yeah. You're always ready to. You think I'm gonna fight? Like you're always ready for me to like be mad at me. Be mad at you, and yeah. then I'm never mad at you. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and then there was like a thing where you were like, I was like, I'm not mad at you, and also if someone's mad at you for this thing, that's fucked up. Yeah, that was really romantic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, really. I was like, because I'm constantly like, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? And it's like, just like this, like, ugh, horrible learned tick sort of. And and Gabby was like, I'm not. And just so you know, for future, if anyone is mad at you for that thing, um, that's not okay. And I was like, that's so romantic. So who said I love you first? I did. I said it in a letter. Yes, Gabby sent me a love letter. I wrote you a letter. <laughs> it was sweet. Uh, and then that was in October, and then you didn't say, and then you didn't say anything till like end of November or something. And I was, I was like, I gotta do it in like a good spot. And then oh, this is a whole thing. Like nothing can happen unless there's like pomp and circumstance. <laughs> I love pageantry. You love pageantry, and you love like like it. Need it can't it. It needs to be like when Mal was like asking me to be their girlfriend. Like <laughs> they couldn't just do it like when we were in a like cab or when we were like at dinner or something. They had to like take me up to a lookout point to like <laughs> ask me to be their girlfriend. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of like flair. Like you just need a lot of like. You know, they're to- a performer. You need to have, like, special. Is that what it is? It's like you need it to be, like, you kept being like, this isn't special enough. Yeah. Now, if you're together, it's special. Yeah, exactly. It's really nice. (laughs) Should have done it on the podcast. Whoa. (laughs) You can propose on the podcast. Um, (laughs) Are we getting married? (laughs) So I have one final tough question. Hit me. Would you like to play Hypotheticals? I've been looking forward to it since I heard that I was going to get booked on this. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Thank you. No offense, baby. That's fine. It's (laughs) it's everyone's favorite part. The hypotheticals? Yes. Yeah. It's time for America's Favorite Game Show where I give you guys hypothetical situations. You tell me what you would do in those situations. Then we talk about it and I decide who's right. Our first game, America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? Your significant other of five years finds out their dead spouse isn't actually dead and was just lost at sea for a while. Mm. So technically, they've been married to someone else the whole time. Mm. When you ask if they're shocked to find out their spouse is still alive, they reply, Oh, I knew they were alive. I can always (laughs) tell if someone is still alive. (laughs) Would you stay with this cheater? Holy shit, did they just not, why did they fake their own death? They didn't fake their own death. They were in a shipwreck and they were stranded on an island. Oh, uh, oh my God. Wait, is this scenario that they'd like to get back together with the with the spouse? No. No, they just, the spouse has just reappeared. Right. And you're finding out that your partner knew that their spouse who was presumed dead was actually alive. So, and the but partner was, it, was not looking for them. Yeah, okay, that was my next question. The partner didn't tell anyone, didn't try to look for them, didn't try to alert the police or do a search party? Well, if you go to the police and you're like, I just have this feeling in my gut they're still alive. Mm. But, yeah, so they didn't know they were on an island. No, they didn't know where they were, but they they could sense they were still alive. Wow, this is mind-blowing. Okay, so are you married to this person? Yes. Oh, so now it's mm. bigamy. Yes. Well, no, because Allison said they don't want to get back with the spouse. But they're still legally married, so no, now no, everybody goes to jail for bigamy. I don't know, because sometimes if you're declared dead, that I don't think it's Oh, bigamy. he was declared dead? Yeah. Okay. This is a whole mess. I know. Okay, so 
So they, what is their relationship going to be now that he's back? Um, presumptuous of you to believe it was a man. Uh, <laughs> I just pictured gonna... the movie Castaway, so I have Tom Hanks in my mind as the husband. <laughs> so because you're in a non-monogamous relationship, they're planning to kind of date their spouse. Oh, they want to date them now? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. This sounds messy. <laughs> what do you think? How long have you been together? Five, five years. years. Okay. But you have to understand. Whoa, wait a minute. Their partner's been gone for five years and you've been dating for five years, so they married you v- right after their <laughs> spouse went missing? I, I never said how long the spouse had been missing. I've seen a true crime documentary. <laughs> I've never. The spouse has been missing six years. Have we been living off the life insurance policy? No, no. So the main issue is just that they lie. They were like, yeah, I knew that they were alive and I wasn't looking for them. But if the spouse doesn't seem to have a problem with that, then why would I have a problem with that on the spouse's behalf? I didn't say the spouse didn't have a problem with that. But they're going to date them. Well, but they don't know that they knew they were alive. And also, the spouse uh, is in a rehabilitation center because they are very malnourished. This is. Oh, no. This is. A, I want to watch this movie. Um, Mal, your decision? Honestly, I don't know what this says about me, but I'm like. I would be fine if they left me for the spouse, but I would also probably stay with them. <laughs> I kind of I kind of feel like you Allison could have said any scenario and you would have been like, I'll yeah, probably, I'll probably stay. stay. <laughs> That's great for you, Gabby. <laughs> I know. I have so much room to act up and I never do. Um, I would leave. Really? Oh, wow. Well, when you go missing in the in an island in the sea, they don't look for you because you left them. Here's what I think. This wow. was all a setup, and they're just using the insurance money. There was no insurance money. Yeah, why are you assuming there was insurance money? They, Do you have insurance on anyone? No, but I'm not <laughs> married. If we got married, I would take out a huge policy on you. Oh, God. Suspicious. Jesus. <laughs> um, our next game. Okay. Are you a terrible parent? Your child is irrationally afraid of lions. So you dress up in a big lion outfit for about a month. This goes great until your kid goes to the zoo on a field trip and they climb into the lion enclosure because they now think lions are the (laughs) coolest and love to snuggle. (laughs) Are you a terrible parent? No one dies, but someone does get maimed. Yes, you're a terrible parent. Are you kidding me? Who gets maimed? The zookeeper. Wow. Yeah, I think you are. Because first of all, a fear of lions is not irrational. That but is a every, rational no, fear. No, but every day they'd go outside and go, oh, my God, a lion's going to get me. <laughs> oh, and they okay. were always thinking that a lion was going to come eat them. So for an entire month, you wore this outfit. You need to, but you can't just wear the outfit and do exposure therapy. Like, you have to explain to them, like, when you see a lion in the real world, it's not going to be your parent. Right, you forgot that part. Yeah. It's not <laughs> daddy in a lion costume. Like, that's a real animal. What about... If you just took them to therapy and didn't do a scheme, it's mm. too late. The kid has gone into the lion enclosure <laughs> and a zookeeper has been maimed. Um, What's your position? I think you are a terrible parent because you could have just taken them to the therapy and the therapist could have handled their fear of lions. What if the therapist did the same thing? What if oh, the therapist I, is dressed up as yeah. a lion? Oh, my God. I... I think you are a terrible parent because I think you're you're just doing this and you're not uh, – it's lazy and you're not explaining anything and you're not taking the time to communicate with your kid or get them professional help. Yeah, what were you even doing when you were dressed up as a lion? Just, just like, regular stuff. Just a lion? <laughs> were you doing the lion voice at, like, at least? No. Why, Sally? Don't be scared of me. Like that. Like yeah, that's, that's how lion you think lions talk? <laughs> yes. 
No, what about the cowardly lion? Oh, hey, Sally. Oh, oh you scared of me. That's what <laughs> like you should that. do is show them Wizard of Oz and they'll see the lions are cowardly. Well, that but didn't then help in this situation. Oh, then be like, don't go near them. Lions are scared of you. Oh, I, have I some, solved it. I have some bad news. In addition to being a terrible parent, you're also a terrible spouse because your spouse was the zookeeper who got maimed. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no. Double whammy. Uh, I don't want to give lions a bad rap. They're a majestic animal. Our final game. Yes. Is this person an alien or just rude? Mm. While in the hospital recovering from surgery, your night nurse comes over, examines your surgical wound with her fingers, and Ugh. declares, you're not strong enough for your skin to grow back. <laughs> <laughs> Are they an alien or just rude? Well, I've had, you know, when I had surgery, I had a nurse say some weird stuff to me. <laughs> yeah, Mal. So this seems real. I mean, it was good weird. Like it was what? Um, Mal woke up from top surgery, and the nurse was, what was she doing? She was stroking my hair and being like, you did so good, baby. You look so good, and kept calling me baby. And then she was like, you got to get, you got to be ready to be a little marshmallow now. And I was like, what? And she was like, you're, you're, you know, your belly's going to stick out, and you're a little marshmallow. And I was like, okay. And she was feeding, what? She was feeding she, you ice chips. She was feeding me ice chips mix, mixed up with ginger ale and was like, you're so good, baby. You look so good. But imagine like, the opposite where they said you're too weak to heal. That would have yeah. freaked you out. Yeah, that would be weird. I feel like it's an alien because aliens can like touch you and know medical things. If I've seen anything in movies and television is that they can touch you and like re read your medical history and stuff and like heal you with their hands. So I'm going to say it's an alien. But then they could heal you and it would grow back. Um, They're vindictive. Sure. <laughs> the verdict? Alien. Woo! But, but they are going to help you grow it back. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Woo! And then feed you ice chips while they stroke your hair. And say you did so good, baby. I think if you're an alien and you come to Earth and you have healing powers, obviously you become a nurse. Yeah, you should. And that's a TV show that I am pitching right now. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, alien Nurse. <laughs> Coming you know, to NBC. Sometimes the most simple is the best yeah. answer. <laughs> nurse, alien nurse. <laughs> Space nurse. What does Gabby win for winning one? Um, your continued love and affection. Dr. Quinn, medicine alien. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Mal. Where can people find you other than Gabby's Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Uh, I'm just at Malblum on all social media. I do have a website called Malblum.com that I never update, but... My manager does put tour dates on for me. Thank you. Promote your album. Oh, yes. I put an album out four months ago called Pity Boy, which is approximately 100 years in the in the music industry. But I think it's very good, and you can go get it. Pity Boy is very good. I Thanks. recommend the songs Odds and wow. I Don't Want To and Things Still Left To Say. Those are my favorite ones. Aww. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about queer baiting. Back to just between us. It's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X X X. I did it like this, so it's kind of like the audio is like X X X X X X X X X. Oh, fancy! Yeah, they can't do that in post. I like to do practical effects. Okay, no CGI over here. Yeah, this this podcast is free of CGI. So this week, I wanted to talk about queer baiting. Yes, and you said you looked it up. So what did you find? 
So basically, queer baiting is when I think most often in um, TV and movies, but I guess it can happen in books as well. Yeah, where creators um, tease the idea of a uh, of a queer relationship between two characters in order to get the LGBTQ audience invested in the show, but then they never actually have the characters get together because they don't want to offend the larger uh, straight audience. Correct. Yes, that's that's the gist of it. Yeah. Now, here's my hot take. You ready for for controversial hot take corner? Yes, I am. Okay. Obviously, this is fucked up of straight people to do. However, I think that queer people are a little bit to blame because we don't consume content by queer creators and we don't consume content with actual queer characters nearly at the level that we consume content that is fully queer baiting. The show Supernatural, for instance, is very known for queer baiting between uh, uh, two of its male characters. And pe- that show's been on for 15, 16 seasons. And queer people are love it and they want those two people to get together. And they're very invested in a thing that, like, obviously is not going to happen because the creators are uh, uh, garbage in that way. And you should, instead of that, be watching the tons of content that's getting made or out there or whatever that is maybe struggling to get views that is actually by queer people and that actually has queer characters. But wouldn't you admit that there's, there like, the problem is there's less of that. There is, and yes. And it's less accessible. There is less of it. Uh, and, but I just think that it's so unfortunate that we put so much time and money and um, fandom and effort into these shows that we, we know are not going to give us what we want. I guess what I didn't realize was how calculated it is. Yes. That they know that they're doing it. They know that they're like teasing their LGBTQ audience and they also like don't have the balls to move forward with the relationship actually happening. And that's so shocking to me that in 2020, it's still like so taboo, you know, like this thing that you want so badly and they're still like, "Mm, but someone in the Midwest might be offended. So we can't risk losing that audience. Yeah. I mean, I think it happens with a lot of stuff, like even with Star Wars, I know Oscar Isaacs and John Boyega were very pro their characters getting together, but because Star Wars and Disney have to do sales in China, mm-hmm. uh, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna allow that to happen. Now then, sometimes they will throw us a bone and give us like very bare minimum queer representation, or they'll give us like a one off queer character or a queer character that doesn't speak or something like that, and they'll be like, "See, we did it." But what would really be actual representation and really be revolutionary is if you had main characters whose whole story arc wasn't about being queer uh, and and incidentally be queer. Mm-hmm. Why not? Okay, so for instance, I was in a writer's room and something that really uh, touched me was there was a character that they conceived of in season one who was not queer. And they hadn't made him to be queer. They hadn't written him to be queer. But they started realizing that there was a queerness to the character. And then people were responding to it and being like, this character seems kind of queer. And so they started writing him to be queer. And then he came out and was a bisexual character. And I remember one of the creators saying, um, is about the character Jay from Big Mouth. And I remember that one of the creators saying, Jay told us who Jay was. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Like so many times you hear creators like audiences and queer audiences are picking up on something queer about a character and the creators will go, well, we didn't make that. We didn't invent that character to be queer. And it's like, no, you didn't. But like 
people have chemistry. People come out like at different ages. Like, you know, like you're, they're clearly reading something into it. Is it going to kill you to throw them a bone? Well, to- I think there's this fear that it, it will, that, that it will cause them to like lose a significant portion of their audience. And that's such a bummer. But you know what? You gain an audience. Absolutely. You gain an audience and you, and you are helping so much more than you are hurting. Mm-hmm. Like you're hurting by not doing it. And, like, I think that there's also a casualness, right? It doesn't change anything. To me, like, if if a character is, like, comes out and is, like, I'm bi or whatever, it doesn't, like, negate anything else that's happened to that character. Like, they think it's going to be some, like, huge bomb and change the way the character behaves or acts. But, like, it, it really, they're still the same. I don't even think it's that. I think it's they are just so afraid of losing an audience. Some... Like uptight sure. homophobic people being like, screw this. I, I'm not watching this anymore. But here's what sucks is that then they'll kind of tr- do little hints and they'll tr- keep that oh, going. Oh, yeah. They're, they're teasing. They're like keeping like breadcrumbs. And so then the queer audience is so devoted. Mm-hmm. And like if you just made them queer, then you would gain a whole new audience. And um, it would be a much more interesting storyline than trying to like force heterosexuality, compulsory heterosexuality on people. Like, there's this thing that happens, too, where, like, a character will start to sort of read as queer, and they will, and then creators will, like, throw in, like, an ex-girlfriend. Or, like, if it's a female character who's sort of queer, they'll, like, throw in, like, a a male love interest. And let me tell you, almost every time, there's no chemistry. (laughs) And I'm not saying that the actor is, is queer in any way, but just, like, it doesn't there, make sense. It, it doesn't. It never makes sense. I'm curious, though, how often it's not the creators, it's the network. So yes. I think that sometimes that might be the direction that the, the showrunners and the writers want to take something, and then they're told from above, you can't do that. It Yes, that does happen. It's also hard because then if you are told you, that can't happen, you I think sometimes then the creators will just keep throwing little hints in because right. they want to keep it going. Um, so it's not necessarily intentionally, like, it's it's, not intentionally upsetting. Right. It's, it's supposed to be like, oh, see, Here's our compromise. mm -hmm. What do you think a queer audience should do if that's happening in a show? Do you think that, like, you just grin and bear it and keep watching? Or do you think that there should be, like, a statement of, of, like, um. Oh, boycotting? Or boycotting it? I don't know. I don't really have an answer. Like, it's, I wish, I think it comes more from top down. Like, I wish that creators could see the benefits of doing of of actually going through with representation like i wish creators could see how loyal the queer community is i mean we will devote ourselves we will spend money there was the l word was on for like 6 seasons in 2005 and we still talk about it and still <laughs> watch it like we will be devoted to all, to things that are made that are like representative and I just think that we're discounted as, like, a paying audience. Like, what you're saying where they're like, well, that guy in the Midwest won't like it. Why is his dollar more valuable than my dollar? Because I think in their heads they think there's more of him than you. No. Right. <laughs> what um, What are some uh, queer-created content that you'd recommend? Or even if it's not necessarily queer-created content that there's representation on the show or in the movie. Yeah, I mean, so I've talked about this a lot, but um, Madam Secretary is an ensemble cast, and it has two very different bisexual characters 
represented. And normally in an ensemble cast, they'd be like, one queer character. We did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think sometimes we are looking for things to be very explicit and um, maybe they won't be, but we are being told things. Uh, and I'm on the fence about that. Like Brooklyn Nine-Nine has Rosa Diaz, who is an out bisexual, but then um, – there's a lot of evidence that Andy Samberg's character is bisexual too. Like he talks almost like very casually in it. And like Bob's Burgers is an example of that too, where Bob on Bob's Burgers says a lot of things that are like, he's like, that's characters bisexual. And then the creators were like, yeah, but they don't, he doesn't have like a coming out. He doesn't Mm -hmm. like say it on the show. So then it's kind of funny to, to see the different realities. Cause I'll be like, Everyone knows that, like, Bob from Bob's Burgers is queer. And people will be like, what? And, <laughs> so like, that's how they sneak it under the radar. It's kind of funny. Like, yeah, and I don't mind that that much. But it was kind of interesting because I uh, – Mal was saying that there are characters that they read as trans. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. And then they'll point it out and I'll be like, you're – whoa, wait a minute. Like, you're right. But it's just not my experience, so I wouldn't have picked up on it. So I'm sure there's tons of stuff like that, and there's even less trans representation. So, um, like, I watched uh, American Horror Story 1984, and Angelica Ross is on it. And her character, Angelica is trans, but her character, it's, like, never brought up or talked about. And I'm of two minds of that, where I'm like, it's pretty cool that she's playing this character who, like, has this whole overarching storyline about, like, being a nurse and and trying to go after serial killer and all this stuff. Uh, And, like, it's never brought up or part of it. Uh, But I was also like, ah, like, I wish, I wonder how many viewers don't know that this is trans representation. I don't know. I think it's really cool that that wasn't part of the storyline. Yeah. I mean, well, I think even, that that's like what we need to see more and more of. It where depends. like you have, like, you know, you have queer characters, you have trans characters, and that's not their whole arc. For sure. I mean, it's interesting too because Mrs. Fletcher did a really good job with um, balancing that. So like Jen Richards plays a trans woman who's like a, a professor at a college. Um, and she at one point mentions being trans. Uh, but then the rest of the story so, – so we know the character is. But then the rest of the storyline is about her, like, feeling insecure and um, thinking that this guy she's dating doesn't like her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he does. But that's – so Don't ruin this show. Sorry, but whatever. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I'm of two minds where, like, I think the Angelica Ross character could have just had, like, a one-off line and then uh-huh. it would have been whatever. I don't love the the whole, like inf- – inference and me only really knowing that because I know that actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of those things, right? Both of those are trans representation uh, in different ways. And I loved American Horror Story 1984 and I loved Mrs. Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher fucking blew my mind away. I loved that show so much. Um, and that was really cool queer representation. And then the lead character in Mrs. Fletcher also is queer, but that's it comes up in her actions, but it never she never has to declare it or say it. And that's interesting. I don't know. And it's interesting, like, with Star Wars, right? Where they had the two, the male and the female lead character, they had them have, like, a romantic connection. And that wasn't seen as crazy, even though even though it, like, wasn't really necessary, but because you could understand without them kissing, you know, that they were very important to each other and connected. Um, but then, like, Finn and Poe, they threw in a random ex-girlfriend of Poe's just to be like, I know for two movies you thought that these two had chemistry, but no. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, out I, of their way to not let people go, think that. Go out of their way. 
okay. Like, if, even if you're not going to give the queer representation, don't throw something in there to, like, ruin it. Mm-hmm. And I and that happens so often. Wow, well, I had a lot of feelings Yeah, about you really this. did. Thank you for sharing. God damn. <laughs> Tamika, you want to share your impassioned feelings? Are you as fired up as Gabby? Uh, I mean, I feel like I just got a whole history of queer painting. <laughs> I mean, wow, that was that was a lot. I know a lot of when once I'm into it, it's like an info dump, pretty yeah. much. I, I I know a lot about pop culture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I actually did watch Supernatural when it first came out. Yeah, um, I remember Me specifically because I was graduating uh, high school <laughs> when it first came out mm-hmm. forever ago, and it's still on the air, probably. Six. 16 seasons. It's still on? Yes. Mm-hmm. 16 seasons of not letting two grown men kiss each other. Was the chemistry there from the beginning? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I remember when I first saw it because I was like, whoa, this is crazy. They're going to have like, because it's like an angel and this other dude. It's like. Demon hunter. Yeah. And. Interesting wh- storyline, seen- right? Yeah. Of like, oh, wow. So a forbidden cool. love, you know? Yeah. That'd be so. It was. It would have been really groundbreaking at the time. And so. if one of them was a woman, they would have dated. For sure. That's the thing that pisses me off. The, the compulsory heterosexuality of it is, let's take these two characters now, in any other show, if one of them was played by a woman, would they be dating? And if the answer is yes, then you're fucking queer baiting. Thank you for your time. I'm Gabby Dunn, uh, and I am running for president in 2020. <laughs> That's a little late to announce your campaign. Yeah, I'm not on the debate stage, um, but, you know, if you donate enough, I will get there. What do we rate this episode? I rate it uh, five out of five. Uh, I love Mal. Oh. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, absolutely. How are you so open about your relationships? Like, I know you had your mom on the pod once. You talk really in depth about your current relationship. I mean, for the average person, I think that would be very scary. Yes, how do we do it? There are things that I'm not comfortable talking about, and I don't talk about those things. So, like, I don't talk about sex Mm -hmm. because that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I just... In my body, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about the other things. But when my body does feel uncomfortable, then I don't do it. I um, have no sense of self-preservation or shame. Uh, And I think similar to Allison, too, there are things that I don't want to talk about. But a lot of times, if I feel like I don't want to talk about it, then that means it would be relatable and helpful to someone else. And so my my metric is – if I and I have families, my family is great and stuff like that. So I and my job is secure. So to me, it's like my metric is if I can talk about this thing that might otherwise seem personal and shameful to other people, uh, and nothing will happen to me. My family will still talk to me. My partner will still love me. I will still have all the jobs that I have. Then why not? Like nobody, nobody else is going to talk about it because there might be repercussions. But if I am at a, a person who happens to not suffer any pre like repercussions from being honest and open, then I'm sure that will help other people. So yeah, it's like a privileged position it to is. be able we're, to be this open that yes. we're both lucky enough to have. We're very privileged. That's really nice. Thank you so much to our incredible guest, Mal Blum. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Thank you for sharing when you're on the show, though. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tamika. Aw, thank you.
Stitcher.